You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Vavil UK's very own Newcastle United podcast, Tyne Warp. I'm your host, Harry Roy, and I'm joined by Alex Wood for this one. It's been a few weeks, but there is a reason for that. And that is, if we did record after every single match, we've got the feeling that we would have just been repeating ourselves the whole time. So, three matches have passed since the last episode. Three defeats to far superior opposition. Alex, an aggregate score of 11-1 against Leicester, Liverpool and Manchester City. Are you disappointed but not surprised at that? Yeah, as you said in the intro, they're incredible football teams. Two of them are arguably going to be in the title race to the very end, um, along with Chelsea, and the other one will be pushing for that sixth spot because um, since they played us, they've decided to get a group and um, be a good football team again, and that's Leicester. Um, and we all know that the capabilities they, they have in their squad. Uh, we did see some classic goals, some absolutely thunderbolts. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold and uh, Shao Cancelos to pick out the bunch. Um, but yeah, it, not not disappointed, not surprised. It, it was completely expected. The thing is, I look at the Leicester game and look, they had a lot of issues with COVID and injury. They had played Napoli. It was essentially the biggest game of the season in midweek. We had an eye on full strength squad and you know they're out of form and we went and got beat 4 0. So for me, that was the real disappointment. Uh, Liverpool and Man City look, absolutely expect to lose it, those two games. But the worrying part about it for me was that we actually played well in those last two games and we got beat 3 1 and 4 0. You look at the defence as well. I mean, look, it's the worst in the league for me. I don't think there's any 
team that possesses a worse defence than Newcastle. And we've talked about January so much on this podcast, pretty much ever since the takeover went through. And I think a lot of people will agree with me here that I think the club need a full new backline in January. Not just a couple of defenders. I, I genuinely think they need like five in in the window. Would you would you agree with that? Or do you think it's a bit of an overreaction? We just need like a, like sort not like a, I mean like obviously like a Van Dyke, but someone who can you know command the defence and the rest of the guys will just up the game around them. I think if you do the five in and you have five players come in in January, we always talk about January the transfer window where everybody needs time to gel and it's always difficult because you jump straight into the season and games are still fast and flowing and especially with games being postponed Newcastle haven't um, been on the other end of that yet but um, obviously we, we don't know what, what's going to go on um, with the environment that's going there but with games postponed it means that we could be playing Saturday, Wednesday or Tuesday, Sunday or whatever the situation would be so that would be even more difficult if you get in one big player that's in that defence and commands everything, then it, uh, they may pick up the other ones. I, I, I actually think our defence has kind of improved since um, the takeover and since we've had Eddie Howe in there. I know it's really difficult to, to say that after we've just con- conceded 11 goals in three games. Um, they were all really good opposition. I can see the, the benefits of both because if you get five and you just go, right, you guys are the new boys, you guys are the ones that start every week and you're the substitute guy, you guys are now the guys. Pick yourselves together, but then you've got to look at the flip side of it, Harry. That's five of them that have to go out. Who's taking these boys? I genuinely do think we need a full new back line because they're just, they're just not up to it. There's not one of them, I don't think, in that defence. Maybe Lewis... Maybe Mankeel, but I don't think any of them get into any other Premier League side. And that that's not good enough for a team that now strives to be up there with the best. I know we've not had a window, but you know they're not Premier League standard. And I think everything highlighted that this weekend was... Uh, sorry, at the weekend against Manchester City was Kieran Clark's howler. When he was thrown back into the side after getting sent off against Norwich... And it's one of the worst goals I've seen us concede all season, if not the worst. Balls I agree. It, it was horrendous, wasn't it? I mean, the ball's come in from Joe Cancelo. Dubravka's not shouted for the ball. It's come in and Clark's ducked and just let Ruben Diaz score. I'm sorry, if you've got any... If you're second-guessing yourself at any point, just clear the ball, you'll take a corner, especially against the side of that quality. Do you think it just shows that, obviously, look, they're not... I don't think they're up to it. And the confidence is an all-time low as well. And that's just a, a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I, I completely would. Even at Sunday League level, even at our level, we're, like, we're not even any form of professional exactly. or even amateur. Like You just clear it. Just get it out. And then if your goalkeeper's going to rage at you, deal with it. Yes, I don't want Martin Dubravka shouting in my face more than any other bloke would, <laughs> would in the one. He is a scary bloke. But just get rid of it, man. Come on, especially when you've got... You know that Ruben Diaz is still in there because it, it was a dangerous set piece in the first place. You know that he's still going to be lurking in that area because you've done film. You've watched Manchester City and how they do it. And he's so clinical in that area, especially that eight yards there. He is one of the best headers of the ball in the Premier League. He's so clinical. You've got to deal with it and just face repercussions later. Something that's not helped Newcastle in the last three games is the standard of officiating. The club have put in a formal complaint about the referees. I mean, 
in every single match we've played since we've last recorded an episode, there's been a contentious decision gone against Newcastle. I mean, we had against Leicester. James Madison's blatant dive for a penalty that was given by the referee, but you know you expect VAR there to intervene and, and overturn the decision. Didn't happen. Liverpool, we had two decisions go against us. The first one, uh, uh, horrific from Mike Dean. Balls come into the box. Isaac Hayden's gone down holding his head. Mike Dean's looked at him three times. Uh, played on and Liverpool went and scored. I mean, that's not Liverpool's fault. You played the whistle, but the referee should be stopping that with head injuries. And then the third one, oh, sorry, another one against Liverpool as well was the penalty decision. Ryan Fraser was in on goal and, and Trent Alexander-Arnold, yes, he won the ball, but I felt he took the man. That easily could have been a penalty. And if that was Mo Salah, it would have been a penalty in my eyes. And then against Man City, arguably the worst of the lot. Ryan Fraser clattered by Edison, none of the ball at all, and for some reason, a penalty wasn't given. Like I said, the club have made a formal complaint, Alex, but do you reckon that's actually going to do anything? Like, is that actually going to do anything, or is that just more of us you know, trying to highlight the awful decisions we've had in the past few games? Well, we can already know that it's not going to do anything, um, because Craig Parson, who officiated the Manchester City game, will be our referee for the Manchester United game. Yeah. It's not going to do anything. We've already know this. We they're recycling the same referee to us. Like, if we make a complaint about a referee, that referee gets removed. It happened with John Moss earlier on in the season. Um, it happened with Mike Dean last year. They they remove the referee from that circulation so they don't cause more trouble. But that doesn't happen with Newcastle now. It's uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter at all. We no one can, cares about us. But all four of those decisions are incorrect. I think Shearer said it on Match of the Day too, and he said it perfectly. It's not VAR that's at fault. It's the people that are running it. Yeah, I agree. They don't feel that there's enough to overturn the referee's on-field decision. But hang on a minute. that That's completely not consistent with everything else that's run this season. This season, they've overturned quite a lot of stuff that the referees have had. Here's your start of the podcast. 42% of decisions that have gone to the monitor have been overturned. The thing is, as well, it's not, it wasn't just our game where there was bad decisions this weekend. Because, I mean, the Liverpool and Spurs game, I think there was two or three in that match alone that were essentially the wrong decision. What do you think needs to be done with the officials in this country? Do you think there needs to be, like, a new, like, head person appointed, like some people have suggested? Or do you think we just need, like, a full overhaul of the refereeing in this country? Because, look, we have the best league in the world and we have some of the worst referees. I mean, you look at World Cups in previous years and how many... English or Premier League referees have actually officiated in these games? Because I think the only ones I can remember ever doing it was Mark Clattenberg and Howard Webb. Yeah, and um, I always forget the bald gentleman. I mean, Anthony Taylor. Anthony, Anthony Taylor, Taylor yeah, had yeah. A, he, he had a year as this, uh, the previous time. There's not many, is there? Like, in some countries, you have, like, five is. German referees. Like, all, you know, we have, like, one or two if we're lucky. That's it. Um, uh, the standard of refereeing in this country alone has always been abhorrent. Um, and it is it is to do with the ranking system that they do, and we could fill an entirely different podcast on this. Um, how referees are monitored and how referees are ranked and how referees are looked after has always been shoddy and it has always been different. Uh, I know myself, um, being a level five referee, um, where it's two levels above the box standard thing, it is very easy to get passed into the next level because they're so desperate for them, because they, no one wants to referee in this country. It's because but of Sunday you... League that though, isn't it? Because like the amount of yeah. abuse that referees get off like parents and that, and yeah, I can, I can see, I can see why. It is a, it is disgusting, but 
again, if, if you're at a professional level in the game, it needs to be more fine-tuned. You, know, you saw a couple of seasons ago when Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville went behind the scenes and looked at all yeah. how BAR was going to go. Did it look really cool and it looked there? But it has dipped again. And at the beginning of the season, we were like, refereeing's going really well. But it, over this course of period, it has dipped and it is terrible and we do need to fix it. And no, you can't... Mike Riley's always done a good job with the, the head of the FR, um, Refereeing Association. It, it's never really there. He enforces the laws I've put onto him. But uh, over the last couple of weeks, it has dipped for league-wide. And we do need better, younger referees in this league. But it's trying to find them and it's trying to source them. Like you said at the start, it's not actually the, the problems not with VAR, the system. It's the, it is the people who are running it. I just don't understand why... You know, like a blatant penalty, you know, referees do miss things. Look, the human, this sort of stuff happens. I thought, I think everyone else thought the VAR was in to eradicate that sort of thing. So, like, we had that penalty decision at the weekend. Okay, if Martin Atkinson's had a howler or he's missed it, you know, that sort of thing. VAR can then step in and go, look, you've missed something, Martin. We think this should be a penalty. The problem with VAR is, and obviously the officials who run it is, they're all mates, aren't they? It's like they're all the, the, the gang of referees and they don't want to make their mate look stupid by getting something wrong. So half of the time... They always, I find they just agree with the ref as much as they can. But then we start getting little rulers out for offsides and like handballs and measuring armpits and that sort of thing. I just don't understand it. It baffles me. VR, but like you said, we can have a full podcast on referees and all that sort of stuff. But I'm going to try and instill some positivity into these last three games. And Alex, do you think there's any positives to take out of these games? Because I actually would say there's been a few... Liverpool, I thought we actually played really well. Just beaten by a very, very good team. Arguably the best side in the world. And Man City, look, just outclassed. I mean, I was I was at the game and uh, saw their bench warming up. And <laughs> if you ever wanted a visual representation of how far Newcastle United are behind these teams, they had Jack Grealish, Phil Foden, Nathan Ake, John Stones and Ilkay Gundogan all sat on the bench. Top, top, top players. Just, just not needed. So, any positives do you think? Because I would say there were. Yeah, I would agree with you. Liverpool, we played really well. I, I really enjoyed watching the Liverpool game. It was great. It was end-to-end. It was action-packed. We scored first. We actually scored a goal. The thing is, I think we could have got a draw out of that game if the if referees went our way. Yeah. I, the John Joe Shelby thing was a, a great finish by him. Should have had a penalty from Trent. Callum Wilson slots that home. And then they're, they're chasing the game and we heavily defend. Alec, Trent Alexander-Arnold scores a thunderbolt. We take home a two-all draw. And Trent, by, Trent should have been sent off. If if that's a penalty, it's a red card as well, isn't it? Uh, right, Rob. It depends on the double jeopardy law there, Harry. Alex, you're the stat man, the referee man. I, I can just take a back seat here. So would it, that wouldn't have been a red card. No, it would have been a yellow card because of the double Fair jeopardy. Enough. You would have so got the yellow. Goals. You'd have got the penalty, so it would have also been there. But then it it depends on VAR. It depends oh. on all that lot, and each referee t- seems to take a different rule of that law. But officially, double jeopardy, so it's a yellow card. It's fine. Um, but yes, no, we could have got a draw out of that one. Um, Manchester City, yeah, no, we were just outclassed. But it, it was simply because we didn't have that holding midfielder, and when mm-hmm. we when we pressed. City used that holding midfielder as, as kind of a five-back and just passed us apart. It was unbelievable from Pep Guardiola and he just finessed us completely. Um, but really, I, I do have a stat one that is absolutely hilarious. Yes, bring um, us. From week 17, which is the full week, there was two games for a lot of sides, obviously. We played Liverpool and Manchester City, which are 
two of the best teams in the league, we've, two of the best teams in the world. We've uh, determined this. This is from the other 14. I bring them up a lot. I love their stuff. Um, shout out to you guys. You guys are amazing. Um, but Newcastle United had four touches in the opposition penalty area this year, this week. Four. It's damn the next, isn't it? Yeah. It's unbelievable. The next closest was 10 with Leeds. Now, they got, they got battered as well this weekend, so that's absolutely fine with them. But then it's 12 at Everton. Like, that's how far away we are from other teams. Norwich, who were right down the bottom with us, 18. It's it's shocking, really. But, no, I agree with you. Liverpool was great. Manchester City, we got finessed. The less we talk about, less of the better. I think that's the perfect way to sum it up. And I think it's, it's probably time to move on. Because I don't want to sit and dwell on three defeats. Like, this is why we didn't record last week. Because we knew that... Well, actually, we were going to record after the Liverpool game. But I text the lads going that we're playing Man City, it's going to be more of the same. So we just felt we would have been repeating ourselves every single game, and that's what's happened. But something new has come up this week, like always with Newcastle, never out of the news, and another name has been banded around, not for director of football, but for the sporting director role. Dan Ashworth, uh, he's currently at Brighton, I think he worked with the FA, I think he's done a spell at West Brom as well, if I'm not mistaken. I think this would be quite a good appointment and uh, we've had permission to speak to him from Brighton. Uh, it's not a deal that apparently it's not a deal that we're expecting to have done before January. It is going to be something that will be will be after the window and this is why they've appointed also Nick Hammond as sort of a consultant to the consortium, essentially helping them get through January, that sort of thing. But I like... Dan Ashworth, I think this would be a good appointment. I'm not just saying that because always being linked with Newcastle, I think he's excellent. Uh, looked at a lot of his stuff. I must say I didn't know a lot about him, but I've done quite a bit of reading into him. And he seems to be the sort of bloke that is used to building a club like he's done with Brighton. You know, brought in some great players into that side. Arguably the best team ever. Graham Potter in charge was influential in bringing him. So, Alex, do you think that it's important, whoever gets a job, and even if it's not Dan Ashworth, that whoever comes in has that knowledge of building a club because that's essentially what's going to happen with us over the next four or five years. That's the only way to, to do it. If you're going to get somebody in, get someone that's a good club builder. I thought that was the MO that the consortium thought they, they needed. Dan Ashworth fits that build completely. I think him coming from Brighton as well is such a telling thing because... That means for him, he's taken Brighton as far as they can go. Now, Brighton fans, don't don't get at me on Twitter. Um, we've already had a discussion about Dan Byrne. But, like, <laughs> honestly, please, does that mean that they've taken them as far? But, honestly, he has built that club so far. I looked through the signings that he had an instrument uh, in making. Yes, Graham Potter, yes, Chris Hewton um, had a say in uh, who they wanted. But he's made, made sure they come through the door. Um, and they are absolutely crazy. Some of them they've spent a lot of money on, and they can say, are they flops, are they not? But some of them are absolutely outstanding. Bissouma for 16 million, McAllister for 10, Monata for 7, Dan Byrne for 4. Now, Dan Byrne is, oh my, he's the weirdest fullback in the Premier League. He's a Geordie um, as well, isn't he? He's crazy, man. He's absolutely mad. Um, Adam Webster for twenty-two million might be a little bit more on the expensive side, but again, plays every week and is phenomenal. Trossard for twenty—that could be your flop. He hasn't really developed in the Premier League or done a lot. Um, but Tyreek Lamptey for three million pounds from Chelsea is finesse. That is creme de la creme, brilliant. 
Uh, thing is as well with this sort of appointment and for him on, on a personal level is that he's able to do the same job as what he's done at Brighton or a similar sort of role uh, with a way bigger budget and you know like you've said there he's, he's, he's spent like look 15 to 20 millions here and there but Newcastle obviously depending if they don't go down this season you'd like to think are going to spend way more than that so I think it's, it's exciting as well it's uh, someone who knows the Premier League knows the English market it's, you know, in our current time of need, I think we need Premier League proven players, that sort of thing. And also, if you can pick up some players from abroad, like, like, like you said there, you know, Yves Basuma, Alexis McAllister, Leandro Trossard, those sort of players, then that is, that's that's huge. And do you think it's a bit of a statement as well, taking someone of his quality from Brighton? Because at the minute, Brighton are arguably, well, they're not a bigger club, but they're, they're certainly doing better than us at the minute, aren't they? 100%. It's stealing someone from your rival. We talked about it earlier on in the season when we stole uh, a youth recruitment uh, manager from Sunderland and we were all absolutely raving about that because it's stealing someone from your rival. Brighton are exactly the same. We've had uh, many arguments on Twitter with Brighton fans saying, we are still bigger than you, although you are better than us. Calm down. You are the little <laughs> engine that could. You are still on minor, minor budgets, but you're doing so well. Your XG is absolutely exceptional if Brighton had the... Callum Wilson up front they probably would have got like top 10 last season I, I think they would have got uh, I honestly think they would have got Europe I really do I think they would have done what West Ham did I think they were that they're like, not they far were off insane. are they yeah no they were absolutely brilliant and Graham Potter is a shoe in for the England job at some point he yeah, is 100%. absolutely perfect for everything that this country has done for a young tactical manager in terms of genius and Brighton, unfortunately, they don't have that budget to take them to a next level. But they are a proven Premier League club. And one good season with one good striker, they can find themselves in Europe and build and maybe take that next level. But taking Ashworth from them is such a coup for Newcastle United. Such a coup. Yeah, I like it as well. And look, it's not a foregone conclusion. He's obviously he's speaking with the club. But I read a, I read a piece today and it was... Dan Ashworth was almost interviewing Newcastle as much as Newcastle's interviewing him. They, like, this is why the consortium are taking so much time because they've got to find the right person for the role. It's someone whose philosophy fits in with theirs. So I think this is a lot of the reason why we've had such a big delay. But I, I think that's important, Alex. You've got to have everybody singing off the same hymn sheet, haven't you? Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. What's the point? We don't want to hire... We, we discussed this when we first had the consortium and we had the mentalist takeover podcast that we've ever done in this uh, in this um, pod on the time lifespan but we discussed that and we said don't rush this get your own people in get the right people in and make sure it works for the club you want to build and this is that definition yes um, we talk about campos we talk about other sporting directors and um the the bloke you mentioned as a, con, uh, a consultant, I've completely forgotten his Nick name. Hammond. Please remind me. Nick Hammond. Yes, it's a little bit gross. Yes, he knows everybody at this level. Yeah, he's and the it's only short term, isn't it? It's not like he's, exactly. Yeah, he's just coming in to oversee January, really. So that's it. So we can find that gem in the iceberg, and I think Ashworth is that. I really do. Now, come along next week and say oh Campos has pretty much signed on the, on the dotted line I'll be singing exactly the same thing and saying he is the gem in the rough because honestly I think these two are brilliant I think if we it, we're still heavily linked with Campos and we're still linked with Ashworth but if we manage to get a sporting director and then a director of football 
of these caliber of people, we could be looking for a very good next 10 to 15 years. I trust the consortium, and I think that's the big thing for all Newcastle fans and journalists and that sort of thing, is you trust that they'll do the right thing and, and, and the best thing for the club. So one team that I'd like to think we'll be competing with in the next 10 to 15 years, maybe even a little bit sooner, is Manchester United, who we've got on the day after Boxing Day. This game is always, uh, other than Sunderland, it's it's one of the most highly anticipated matches of the season at St James's Park, and, and highlighted even more with Cristiano Ronaldo coming to the coming to the tunes. So it's going to be a huge game. It always is, but it's it's going to be another incredibly tough match. It's another. It's probably the last of the really really hard running. Obviously, you know, we've played Liverpool City, and now we have Manchester United. Alex, do you see this as another game where we just haven't got a chance and it's all about keeping the score down and playing well? Yeah, that's that's it. That's perfect. I, I can't <laughs> emphasise that enough. Um, yes, they had a, a small COVID outbreak at their training ground. Um, that's all gone away now. Everybody that had um, tested positive was a false positive. So they don't actually have any players with COVID. They're all back at the training ground now. Everything is okay. Um, they're all... Uh, they're all thankfully really well and positive and they're all really, really fitting into this um, Ralph Ragnick system. And it is very stressful because um, his system is incredible and he's a really, really good manager and a really, really good project builder. And Manchester United can really fit into their team. And more time they get with him on a training ground without game pressure is really good for them and really bad for us. See, my next question was, will them not playing for a while be an advantage for Newcastle? Because I think the last time they played was against Norwich. And they squeaked past them 1-0. And I thought Norwich arguably deserved to win that game. So do you think that, you know, that the lack of inactivity could just, you know, give Newcastle a bit more of a chance? No. No? Not at all. They've hardly had any time with um, Ragnick on the training ground. They've They've got players coming back from injuries, such as Rashford... Um, obviously Martial's been a nobody and um, looks to be moving on in January but I think that they spend more time on the training ground with a manager of his calibre looking and assessing us can only be a good thing I think I, I think it is for them yes you've got such a thing as match fitness and uh, they might look a little bit sluggish coming out of the traps but the quality they possess, Harry, yeah. is so incredible. We saw it as all three of us, me, you, and Dan, were all at the were all at Old Trafford for the mm-hmm. uh, previous return return fixture, and they were incredible. And that was under Ole. So now yeah. give them Ragnick and give them Ralph. And yes, they were they squeaked behind Norwich and do that lot. But do you know how they squeaked behind Norwich? They were organised. Yeah. Yes, they didn't offer a lot attacking-wise, and it was a Cristiano Ronaldo penalty that, that won them the game. But I think they'll just really, really come to us organised, professional, and I think Fred will run us into the ground as he has proven that he can do now. Um, because suddenly Ralph Ragnick's gone, yeah, there's a footballer here. Um, he's not completely useless. He's very good at certain things that I want him to do. So, yeah, um, they'll be really good. And Yes, it'll be nice to see Cristiano at uh, St James's. It always is. He's welcome anytime he wants. If you ever get bored of Manchester United, <laughs> Cristiano will happily take your wages on, my friend. I think we can afford it. But yeah, no, I think they're a little bit too good, my friend. Unfortunately, 
I, I sort of agree with you, but I know you were talking about the, 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 the previous fixture we played against them. I know we lost 4-1, but I don't actually think Man United were very good. And I always thought in that game that Newcastle had a chance, whereas against Liverpool and Man City, it was essentially a write-off before kick-off. Like, I watched them play against Norwich. Didn't think they were that good. Norwich are, I would say, a worse side than us. There's not many in this league, but they are certainly one of them. And Norwich played very, very well. We're just lacking that bit of quality up front. So I certainly think if Newcastle can defend well, and they will have to defend very well, playing against a team that have not played for a couple of weeks, I think we've got a chance maybe at a draw. But I think that's probably just me being the the rose-tinted glasses on. But we'll we'll wait and see. But the defensive issues are there for everyone to see. Uh, With Jamal Lewis now injured, uh, against City we had... Jacob Murphy playing right back. We had Matt Ritchie playing left back. Two wingers, really. Does it make sense to go to a back five against Man United and just have a little bit more defensive cover and using those two, you know, who we've used as full backs as wing backs because they're all more suited to that role, aren't they? Yeah, um, that's the system that we played against United in the first place. Hang on, which um, United? Um, you mean Manchester uh, United? <laughs> yeah, Manchester United. That's the system we played against Manchester United. Um, when 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 we went to Old Trafford, um, we used the back five system, um, and they kind of tore us apart. But again, this is under Eddie Howe, so we might be a little bit more compact and a little bit more, and actually have a strategy. I apologise. So yes, I would go to a back five personally. Um, to answer your question, um, I would play Richie. Whether I play McQueer or, or Murphy, I'm not entirely sure, but it's one of the two for there. And then yes, um, have Lascelles. Well, Fernandez is injured, yeah. isn't it? Which is a massive yeah. blow. We haven't really addressed that, have we? That's huge, isn't it? I know he's not been playing, but I still think he's our best central defender. He's also our most experienced by far. Yeah. Um, he's been at this level. He's been in relegation fights endlessly. Um, so it is going to have to be Shah. It is going to have to be um, Kieran Clark, and it is going to have to be. See, Jamal I'm putting Zales. I'm putting Kraft in over Clark. I just don't think Clark's in the right frame of mind. I don't think it's fair on him to put him in against. Man United, because I mean, he's had an absolute howler against, obviously he had a howler against Norwich, got sent off, come back, total catastrophe against Man City. I'd even stretch to put an Isaac Hayden as a centre-off over Clark. Is it not even more damning of Clark's confidence if Howe drops him? No, I think he's doing him a favour. Mm-hmm. It's Man United, he's going to be up against Ronaldo. He's going to be causing him so many issues. He'll literally just stand on Clark the whole game. I don't think it's fair on him to start the game. But look, we don't know what sort of man he is. He, he might want to face adversity and, and have a go. But f- if I was Eddie Howe, I wouldn't start him. I'd put Emil Crafton in centre-off or Isaac Hayden, someone like that. Take him out the firing line for me. I really like that. I like uh, I like that option. I really do. It depends on whatever how I said to him behind closed doors. Unfortunately, yeah. we're not privy to that. Uh, how much I would love to be a fly on the wall and how much I'd love to see the Amazon documentary at Newcastle. Uh, fingers crossed we might get it next year. Uh, but it would be absolutely incredible. Um, but yeah, no. I'd, I, the back five for me, whether you put Crafa Hayden in there, um, it doesn't matter. The back five for me is is the better option. And obviously, we have the Bravko in goal. So it might only be 3-1 because Dalot definitely should have saved one of them goals at Man United. But That was, was Woodman. I think he should have saved both. Both Ronaldo. Yeah, well, the Woodman, first one, sorry, Ronaldo, gorgeous. I mean, he spilled it out, didn't he? And then, I mean, there's nothing they could have done with um, Bruno Fernandes or Lingard's goals, but certainly the first two from Ronaldo were easily avoidable. So then it makes it a little bit more respectable. I Honestly, yeah. if we 
if we get beat 2-1 on the week, uh, on the 27th against Manchester United, are we coming back on this podcast next week and going, hey, lads, we gave it a good go. They're a really good team under a new manager that really knows how to organise. Oh, yeah, 100% we are. I personally think we are, and I'll absolutely take that. And for the most crucial thing, Harry, goal difference. We keep yes. it low. Mm-hmm. We keep it controlled. We keep it concise. I think that's going to have to be Eddie Howe's. I thought in the back of Eddie Howe's mind now is, right, we've just conceded 11 goals last week. Lads, it's looking a bit dicey down there now. Um, we might only be three points from safety, but our goal difference is the worst in the league. We've got to fix that. So, yes, the back five and a little bit more control for me. I'm going to throw something at you here, right? Would you rather lose 2-0, comprehensively beaten, goal difference goes down, or get beat 5-2, Play well, have a good goal, but ultimately just like a bit of a basketball game like it was against West Ham on the opening day, just beaten by a side that were far better. You already know the answer to that, Mama. <laughs> Especially with that home home crowd. that is going to be a sellout. Um, it's been sold out uh, for about a month or two, I think. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, like, whether that's smart uh, or according to the new COVID re- regulations that's mm. come out, that's a, that's a conversation yeah. for people that are way smarter than even address that. I don't think we should be playing... Quickly, I think we should. I don't think we should be playing games at the minute. I think we should have a, a couple of weeks circuit break. Uh, not just for people's health, but also gives Newcastle a bit more time to get some players in in January and have a real pop at these teams. The more, the more uh, controlled thing is people's health. Thomas Frank is completely right. The Brentford boss that he said it midweek. Um, and I completely support that. Um, but the Premier League says no, we're playing games, so here we are on the inevitable money hamster wheel um, mm. that we are now part of as Newcastle United uh, Saudi led consortium. Yep, we we all acknowledge that. But fifty two thousand fans there, there will be um, whether they're told to wear masks or whether there's going to be vaccination passport checks beforehand. I don't know that. Um, that's a again conversation for people way smarter than me and you, my friend. But. The crowd there will definitely be supporting them, especially after Christmas mm-hmm. and especially with the looming hangover of lockdown. It'll be the last game they might might see for a long time. Yes, the atmosphere there is going to be incredible. My only last question is, are you going? I am. I'm in the press box, absolutely buzzing. Uh, the original plan was uh, I was going to let uh, our Man United uh, Brad go, uh, but he's working that day, so I was like, right, I'll go. And then the first thing was we've got some family coming up over Christmas and the plan was because my grand's never been to a Newcastle game. I've always wanted to take it to a, to a match, and we're like, look, we'll we'll go. Try, I'll try and get tickets for the Man United game because you know it's obviously it'd be a cracking game, sellout, great atmosphere, and take it to the match, that sort of thing. But obviously, I can't go and stick her in the Gallagher, can I? So I've I've got to go and get like the not corporate, but the somewhat posh seats. Anyways, ended up having a total nightmare. Couldn't get any tickets at all. So last resort was uh, applying for press access. And thankfully, I've got in. So uh, cheers to the club on that one. So I will be there at the match. And hopefully, we'll see another Newcastle win. Because I've got a sneaking feeling. I don't know why. I say this all the time. I've got a sneaking feeling that we might just get something from this match. Because we always seem to raise our game against Man United. Day after Boxing Day. Fans are going to have a full day full of Christmas turkey and alcohol I imagine so it's going to be a cracker match regardless of what happens but Alex we always end off here with a score prediction Manchester United at home 27th of December hit me what do you think? 2 on Manchester United it's a really good game end to end football but that man pipes us at the end mm. does a yeah. full swing oh, no. in front of the oh, Gallagher end God. You were never going to see bricks. so many V's being raised when he's <laughs> <laughs> so synchronised that'll just be <laughs> the hearts of so many fans. 
and it will be a true fairy tale Manchester Christmas. But for Newcastle, it will be heartbreaking. I think it will be. I, I'm calling it now two one. Uh, Ronaldo score the winner. Um, yeah, I think that would be that. Or Jesse Lingard score the winner and have a true, <laughs> true audition for Newcastle in a come get me January thing. Apparently he wants to stay in fight for his place at Man United. He doesn't want to come. I don't blame him, but you know. (laughs) Um, My score prediction. I'm not going to predict us to lose. I'm not going to predict us to win. 3-3. I think we're going to have a repeat of the game in 2016 or 2015. Got relegated that year. We drew 3-3. Paul Dummer scored an absolute screamer at the end of the game. I think we're going to have similar scenes. Look, we aren't going to be good enough to keep Man United out. We're not going to be good enough to keep Ronaldo out. But I am confident that we will have opportunities to score in that game, unlike we did against Man City. Look, they're not as good as Manchester City. The league table doesn't lie. They're currently outside of the top four. They aren't playing remarkable football. We all know they're capable of that, but they're massive underachievers at the minute. Of course, look, Ranyard's come in. He's had a couple of weeks to to really get into those players. We might see a, a total masterclass from Man United. It wouldn't surprise me if we were to see that, but I've got to remain confident. I just think that it's, it's a massive game, like they all are, but... Um, I feel the stakes are always a little bit raised when we play against Man United, and that's come from come from the 90s, really. So I'm going to go 3-3. Um, I think if we avoid a defeat in this game, I think it would just be massive, just for our confidence as well, taking into uh, the games against Everton and Southampton, which we think are going to be ahead, because I don't think the Premier League are going to stop playing games, which is an argument for another day. But Alex, thank you very much for coming on, mate. Hope you have a fantastic Christmas. And everybody that is listening to Time Warp over this festive period has a real good one. From us two lads, thank you very much for listening and we will catch you all next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.